I'd like to begin tonight by reading the introductory paragraph out of chapter 10, and uh, then we'll take a look at some of the areas that the chapter identifies for us concerning Satan in the home. The first attack Satan made was against the home. He invaded Eden and led the first husband and wife into disobedience and judgment. Satan is still attacking the home. This does not mean that all wrecked homes are the fault of Satan, for often the flesh has a lot to do with the problems. If a Christian marries out of God's will, the enemy can have a field day in that home. If either or both partners are too immature for the demands of marriage, Satan can find openings for subtle and not-so-subtle attacks. If the married couple does not obey the Bible and leave father and mother, but instead permits the parents to interfere, then Satan has an easy time attacking that marriage. But there are some specific areas of attack mentioned in the Bible, and these must be noticed by Christians who are married. And that's what we'll take a look at here. These specific areas identified even in the Scripture wherein Satan attacks the home. But just a thought here uh, on that introduction. A few things that are identified by our author, and, and I see this often in, you know, in marriages. These are the typical types of things that trouble uh, the home life, trouble Christians, oftentimes, as he mentioned here, marrying out of God's will. I can't emphasize enough, if you're single here tonight, that you need, if you're, if you're interested in dating or courting or want to ultimately believe that God ultimately has a desire for you to be married, you need to marry in the faith. You need to find someone who is like-minded with you. Do not be unequally yoked with someone who does not know the Lord. And uh, you want to find someone that not only knows the Lord, but really has the same kind of desires that you have in the Lord. I've seen this in marriages. You know, one is a really one part part of the marriage is a real strong believing, you know, very passionate believer. The other one is just kind of a, I would say, maybe a lukewarm believer. And even though they're both in the faith, so technically you're not being unequally yoked, but your, your marriage is going to struggle because the one that really wants to go all the way in the Lord is always kind of trying to motivate and bring along the other believer who just simply doesn't have the same passion for the things of God. So it's it's finding spiritual compatibility that is so important. And um, it's unfortunate how oftentimes people will date and court outside of that, that boundary, and then lo and behold, oh, I just fell in love. I couldn't help it. Well, why were you... Why were you even allowing yourself to become entangled in a relationship where um, you could see from the beginning that this person was not on the same page as you spiritually? So how important it is to marry in the Lord and to uh, stay in the will of the Lord. Also, he notices here in this introduction, oftentimes believers are too immature for the demands of marriage. And it's unfortunate how often I see this. Um, sometimes it's just emotional immaturity, you know, people having to learn what married life is about, and that can be challenging. And I, I think that probably all of us that were married young can, can recognize that there was a lot of growing up to do in marriage. But I'm thinking here also of just the spiritual immaturity, and that can come at any age, by the way. <laughs> people that claim to know the Lord, and yet they're so 
uh, immature in the Lord. They don't understand the things of God. They're not really inclined to obey and follow the Scriptures. They've come to faith in Christ, but the Bible is not really their roadmap for living, not really the ultimate authority for their life. They're just kind of casual Christians, and they stay immature. They never really grow into mature believers, and this will bring trouble in a marriage. Uh, And so often what we end up with here in the church in terms of counseling and and ministering uh, are these people that are in the church, believers, but believers that are not interested in obeying the Scriptures. They've not quite submitted to to the authority of God's Word. They're immature in their faith, and it causes all kinds of drama in the marriage. So, again, you don't, the devil doesn't hardly need any help in some of these cases. You know, we do his work for him. But certainly, the sa- Satan will take advantage of that. And then the other thing that he identifies here for us is this whole idea of parental interference. And, again, this is oftentimes a troubling uh, dimension in a marriage. And, again, those that... that that uh, we counsel with and often have to pray with, this is uh, often the issue. Um, uh, Spouses get married and they want to bring all of the family influence into the marriage, and it's a dynamic that often brings great trouble into the marriage. And it's difficult for, uh, especially I think, younger believers to kind of, you know, Leave and cleave, as we say. You know, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. There really does need to be a, a shifting of loyalty in all other relationships into the marriage, into the home. And this, this is often a troubled spot. And so Wearsby points these things out. I bring them to your attention because I think they are so often the kinds of things that I end up uh, really having to help try and walk people through. But he goes on now from there, and he begins to identify a number of biblical uh, passages that speak directly about Satan wanting to interfere into the home. So uh, one of the things, the first things that we'll look at, actually we'll look at four things tonight. Satan teaches false doctrine concerning the home. Satan seeks to redefine the headship in the home. Satan wants to lead uh, couples into, into moral impurity. And he wants also to get priorities out of whack in the home. He'll get the wife often too busy outside the home. And um, let's talk about some of these things now together. First, Satan teaches false doctrines. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, look at this, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So this forbidding to marry, Paul points out to Timothy that, listen, the the, the enemy, the, de- the devil, will send deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, and one of the areas that are going to be attacked is this, I, this idea of marriage. Where there's going to be the idea of forbidding to marry. I think Paul here is speaking of a legalism that was creeping in even in his day. This idea that, you know, if you, if you really want to be spiritual and you really want to you know, serve the Lord, you have to be single. And, uh, of course, Paul himself talked about uh, being single and how it 
did allow him certain freedoms uh, of other of other concerns to be diligent in his calling as an apostle. But he would also point out that that's not for everyone's calling. And I, I, it's been my experience that although some are uniquely called to be single, uh, and some may choose to be single, and it certainly is a Christian option. No one demands that you be married. But I have found that for most, for most, it really is the will of God that you would be married. Um, that is really the rule. The exceptions are those that God would uniquely call to be single, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there, there, there are certain uh, advantages in terms of ministry opportunities if you're single, and that's what Paul enjoyed. But for the most part, and so we speak about the home because most of the time, uh, we are we are we find ourselves uh, in desiring and in the will of God to be married, but Satan would then look to undermine this this uh, really beautiful um, ordinance that God has given to the church. The, the the marriage is God's idea, of course, and Satan wants to deceive us. He'd like to to teach us that somehow marriage is wrong or sinful, and introduce some false doctrine that might stumble us. I quote Wearsby here out of our book. He says, Any teaching that claims greater spiritual virtues and blessings for the celibate than for the married is of the devil and not from God. uh, Paul identifies it here clearly in 1 Timothy. This doctrine of demons forbidding to marry, that's not of the Lord. That's not of the Holy Spirit. As I said, God may lead that way, but uh, to, to preach that somehow that is the better choice and that uh, you're going to be more spiritual and of greater uh, virtue if you stay single. That's really not something that the Bible teaches. That's not a, a clear doctrine of the, of the Word of God. Something else, uh, Wearsby doesn't mention it, but I will certainly mention it here tonight uh, simply because of what's going on in our own culture. What's another kind of deceitful, demonic doctrine that's kind of, kind of coming in concerning marriage? We live in a time where marriage is being redefined, isn't it? Uh, and our culture is wanting to redefine marriage altogether. And it, it would be bad enough if it were just the culture and the political movement of the day. That would be bad. But it's beyond that, guys. It's moving even into the life of the church. And we have now the church looking to redefine marriage. The Church of Jesus Christ, imagine this, redefining marriage. I remind you of Jesus Christ's description of marriage in Matthew 19, in verse 4 through 6. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And I would add, what God has defined, let not man redefine. This is the words of Jesus Christ concerning marriage. And yet in the church of Jesus Christ, it's being redefined. So you you get an idea. This, This is the... The devil at work. This is the doctrine of demons creeping in through the culture, into the mind, into the you know, into the mind of men, and then into the church. The church being influenced by the world, rather than the church maintaining 
It's preserving nature and uh, light and salt in the world. So um, clearly, uh, Satan wants to introduce false doctrines. Something else that Satan obviously will look to do uh, is to redefine the headship in the home. A couple of verses where in the New Testament where the home is organized by, by God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence, for Adam was not formed first, then Eve. Excuse me, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. The Apostle Paul uh, sets something of an order here in the life of the church and, of course, in the home, that men are called to lead. Men are called to walk in spiritual authority. Women are not really called to lead and be in spiritual authority over men. He goes on also in the book of Ephesians, giving instruction both to husbands and wives. He gives this instruction to the wives in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So this is something that Satan would like to undermine. Satan would like to disrupt the God-given order for the home. Now the truth is that God does establish leadership. And this is the way God works throughout you know, all of his creation. There is leadership in the home. There is leadership in the church. And if you think about God, there is even a sense of order and leadership in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus as the Son praying, Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. So even within God, the Godhead, there is a sense of order and structure. Now, Jesus was in no way diminished. Jesus was no less God. Jesus was not a second-class God. Jesus is God. He is fully God. He is one with the Father. And yet, in the, in the operation of the Trinity, he has a role, doesn't he? He has the Son, a very specific role in the Godhead. And so in the home, there are roles that God has assigned. Men are called to lead. Men are called to set the spiritual leadership and, if you will, kind of the pace for the home. And this is something that we see being undermined even in Christian homes. Men, first of all, men kind of don't want to lead. They don't, they don't rise to the leadership. And then in which case women are almost left with no choice but to lead. And then also we have, because I think of a cultural influence, we have this whole idea of equality. Women can't... You know, we have women in our culture thinking that to, to let a man lead is, is you know, uh, just completely, you know, and somehow they're going to be diminished, they're going to be un, unequal. But that's not at all what God had in mind. Uh, headship, of course, is not to be dictatorship. And for women to submit to the leadership that God has given to their husbands is not in any way making them inferior. I remind you of Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is not about a difference in value in the kingdom. This is not about a, some uh, you know, 
one is better than the other in the eye or mind of God. No, in Christ we are all equal. Paul says that clearly. But in terms of the office and role that you have in the home, God has organized it in a certain fashion and way. So it's not about equality. It's really about fulfilling the God-given role. And if you think about it, uh, if you have two people that want to be want to do the leading, um, how well does that work out? You know, I haven't dis- I haven't really seen any marriage where that really brings about peace and unity and harmony, uh, but rather it brings about competition and you know pride and stubbornness and arm wrestling and it's not a godly home at all. So Satan looks to mess this up. Satan wants to. Get this out of order. He'll do it by discouraging the men, by distracting the men. He'll do it by putting some sense of inferiority in the heart of the woman and making her feel, you know, like she can't yield to the man. He'll do all kinds of things to try and orchestrate chaos in the home. And in so doing, what God has planned is disrupted. God has designed these roles, and God has called us to walk in them. You know, Just a word for us as men. Headship, as I mentioned, it's not dictatorship, but it's leadership in love. You know, as men, we like to to think that, yeah, God's made me the leader. My wife is to submit to my leadership. But if you look at the passages that speak to the role for men, really, guys, our role is a much higher calling, a much more difficult calling than than the role of the woman. I remind you of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Yeah, God's called me to lead. Yes, he has. And this is the example that he has given to you in the same way that Christ loved the church. Christ laid his life down for the church. Christ died for the sake of the church. And that is the kind of leadership that we are to bring into the home. Self-sacrificing, laying our life down, doing all that we can for the betterment of the home. That's what Jesus did for the church. He came to serve. He came to bless. He came to pay the price for the church to be blessed. And this is the call for us as men. So as as we kind of you know, relish in our leadership role. Let us remember the responsibility of this role. This is what God has called us to. Something, again, not mentioned in the book, but I want to mention it because it's something I see troubling our Christian homes. Uh, Again, under this idea that Satan looks to redefine the headship in the home, looking to disrupt the leadership in the home. Something else that I've seen You see it again in our culture, but unfortunately I think we see it in the church as well. We see child-centered homes instead of Christ-centered homes. We see homes that are run by the children. The, the, The husband is to lead the wife and the parents are to lead the children. But unfortunately we see, sometimes we see a child kind of running the show. Now we love our kids. And, you know, it's just, you know, so easy to kind of slip into that idea of anything for, you know, little Johnny. I just want him to have it all and be blessed. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with us desiring to bless our children. But, guys, we're not called to, to just 
give our children everything that they desire. We're not called to um, be friends with our children and try to make sure that they like us and that we're buddies. Now, that can be part of our relationship with the children, but we are called to parent our children. And this is something that I just want to challenge you with. And again, a couple of verses, 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is Paul's instruction for those that would be useful in leadership in ministry. So this is a qualification for leadership. And he said, look for those guys, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So God is expecting men to be kind of leading their homes, leading their wife in a very loving and sacrificing way, but also really keeping his children in line. Listen, if you don't keep your children in line, who's going to? Oh, I just drop them off at school. I hope they'll learn something there. I'll take them to church. Get them in the Sunday school. Hopefully you can control them. You know, listen, the the role, the job of of raising children falls to the parents. And uh, it's unfortunate that we we seem to be kind of missing our leadership there. Also, we're called to lead them. Uh, We're also called to train them. Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children have to learn to obey, guys. They don't just come out wanting to obey. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Do you want want it to go well with your children? Do you want them to live long on the earth? Do you want them to be blessed? Then you have to instill the idea that they need to learn how to obey your authority in your home. You see, your authority represents God's authority in their life. This is the way God works. God works through human-empowered authority to lead and guide families. And so if the child doesn't learn how to submit and obey and respect his parental, his or her parental authority, he's going to have a very difficult time learning how to submit to God's authority, and it won't go well with them. And they won't live long in the earth. They'll have a very troubled way because they never learned this principle. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, there's so much that we could talk about just in parenting. We don't have time for that tonight. But I, don't, I, I definitely want you to at least consider that that is part of Satan's attack to redefine the, 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 the leadership in the home as he wants to get, he wants to get the, the parents' and children relationship out of whack. A few, few final verses here. We're, we're supposed to lead our children. We're supposed to train our children. And guys... We're supposed to discipline our children. And this may be the hardest thing for us sometimes, and especially, again, with the cultural pressure that we see going on in our day. But I remind you of some of the wisdom from the Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-three thirteen through 14. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Boy, that almost sounds like something that would be illegal to read today, doesn't it? Oh my God, you're going to beat your child with a rod? We're calling, you know, family services. We're going to get, you know, and, and of course, 
discipline has been done in abusive ways. And uh, parents have gotten out of control and over the, gone over the top, disciplined in anger, disciplined without self-control. Certainly that is not what's being encouraged here. But there is a place for carefully, lovingly, biblical discipline administered into the life of children. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and rebuke give wisdom. Look at this. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Kids cannot raise themselves. And especially in this culture, the children are going to grow up with some kind of mentoring, some kind of discipling is going to take place in their life. They don't come, you know, knowing how to live, knowing the rules of life, knowing the things of God. They have to be trained. They have to be shaped. They have to be mentored. They have to be parented. And if you don't parent them, then the culture will. And let me tell you, you will not like what the culture produces. And don't get trapped, don't get caught up in the culture. Don't believe all of this child psychology stuff that, you know, you can't this and you can't that and you should always this and you should always that. Listen, there is some wisdom there. I'm not saying that there aren't some good tools for you. But don't, don't discount what the Scripture gives very clearly. Parents, train your children. Discipline your kids while they're young, while you have opportunity to shape their will, to teach them respect for authority, to teach them and, and train them in between right and wrong, what, who God is and how to live with Him in peace and love and fellowship. It needs to be balanced with love and tenderness and all that parenting it, it requires, but Satan wants to disrupt it. Satan wants to kind of just you know, get you to... Um, you know, kind of outsource parenting. It's a big job. It's an important job. Maybe probably one of the most important things that can come to anyone is the role of being a parent. And I believe that Satan wants to attack that. And he does so oftentimes through the culture, through the ideas of the culture. You have got to stick to the Word of God. Next, Satan wants to lead husbands and wives into moral impurity. Uh, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 here in just a minute. Quite a few verses I'm going to have to turn. Actually, I will have it up on the overhead, but I'm going to have to turn to it. But let me just uh, make a couple of the obvious observations that you guys are well aware of. Satan would love to create adultery in the home. Satan would love to bring moral impurity into the heart and lives of uh, married couples. One of the most obvious ways, of course, is the, the pornography industry and the whole easy access that, it, that we now see on the Internet. Uh, not just the Internet, but just the whole, you know, the whole marketing, the whole barrage of images that are coming, uh, especially against men who are visually you know, oriented, stimulated. I mean, it is just a constant battle. Every day, you can't drive down the freeway, you can't watch a ball game, you can't go out in public and not set guard and watch over your eyes. You're going to stumble, you're going to be distracted, you're going to be caught up because it is just uh, epidemic. So clearly, that is the work of the enemy, trying to just addict the culture to sex and immorality. And it becomes more and more tolerant, it becomes more and more uh, you know, blatant, 
And as believers, we are called to a different standard. And we have got to defend ourselves against this. Uh, The lust of the eyes is an obvious uh, attack from the enemy. Also, um, something else that I think often leads to immorality and purity is just kind of, I'll, I'll call it flirtatious relationships. Relationships that are not appropriate uh, for us as men. I'm speaking to men tonight. Women can get engaged in this type of thing too. Um, and again, something of our culture, we, have, we, we spend a lot of time out of the home. If we're working, uh, we spend a lot of time, oftentimes we spend more time at work than we do at home. At least, you know, a lot of our time at home is we're asleep. I mean, real waking hours are spent oftentimes outside the home. And so there's all kinds of opportunity for Satan to bring other distracting relationships your, your way. And believe me, he's looking to set you up. He's looking to bring that, you know, that, that person that shows you just that kind of attention that you're not getting at home. You're having trouble with the wife. Things are difficult. You're, you're in something of a dispute. And then, of course, the secretary, the co-worker, the whatever, you know, the, 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 some relationship that you're, you have opportunity to be in, you know, encountered with is all of a sudden looking very appealing. And then they're, they're, they're flirting with you and you're flirting with them. And it's all so innocent and you can handle it. And it's just, but it's not. You've got to be careful, men, uh, and for women as well. The, the enemy will definitely use these kinds of uh, outside-the-home relationships to try and distract and lead us into moral impurity. And God calls us to protect our marriages by being faithful to one another within the marriage. Look with me now, or I think I'll probably have it up on uh, the overhead. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 5, I'll read it. Now concerning the things which uh, you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And here comes that warning specifically about Satan in verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So part of God's design within the married relationship is that we would find our sexual fulfillment uh, completely satisfied with our partner, with our married spouse. And Paul gives just real practical advice here. Guys, listen. Husbands and wives, render the affection that is due to one another. Now, rendering affection is not you know, just sexual activity. Rendering affection is, you know, being romantically inclined with your spouse. You know, men, we think, you know, rendering the affection is just, it's, you know, it's sex. That's, that's what we're all, you know, that seems affection to us. But, you know, women are wired a little differently, and they're, they're, they're looking for uh, more of a relationship. They, you know, so we have to render that affection that's due her. She's due that. 
You know, we want her to, to render what's due to us, but we need to render what is due to her heart. We need to be tender. We need to set up those date nights. You need to find those ways to kind of woo your wife. Do you remember when you were courting her? Do you remember when you were trying to win her over? Do you remember those, you know, you couldn't, you were just so creative in ways to reach out to her, right? All kinds of ways to get her attention and to get her to laugh and smile and think about you. And it's amazing how creative we are until after we're married. (laughs) And then it's pretty much, you know, give me the remote control. I'm tired and I'll talk to you later, honey. But um, you understand, there's a sense of uh, being diligent in your marriage, guys. It takes work. It takes, takes that creativity. It takes winning the heart of our wives. It takes really investing that time. Notice also that in verse 4, he said, you know, that you, you're, you don't have authority over your own body anymore. You really do belong to one another. And so there's this idea of really becoming one. Um, I don't have the right of the. I don't have sole rights to my own body. I belong to my wife, so I can't be doing with my body whatever I please. Nor can I be denying my wife what might please her, because I'm really her property. And in the same way, she is now belonging to me. We belong to each other. We now share authority over one another's bodies. This is uh, important understanding for us that that we would treat one another with that kind of respect. And he says in verse five, "Don't deprive, don't don't deprive one another of that physical intimacy, guys. Don't find fulfillment and satisfaction somewhere else. Okay, don't don't you know fulfill those desires and needs that you have physically through some other means." besides being affectionate and tender and intimate with your wife. Your wife needs to be that place where you find fulfillment. Not, not, not a movie, not the Internet, not some habit or some you know, other practice. That is, in a sense, you're depriving your wife of that natural desire that you have to be intimate with her. So... In the same way, of course, women are not to use uh, intimacy as some weapon by denying it and keeping it from their husbands. And, you know, guys, we're going to be speaking to the women about these things as well, and we'll, we'll gear our teaching a little more for their needs. But, you know, I'm speaking to the things that we, we all wrestle with as men. And uh, I think that God has designed it this way. That we would uh, that, that that our physical intimacy would actually become something of a protection for our marriage. You know, it really is hard to be fighting and to be bickering and then be intimate. It's 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 hard to keep the anger when you're intimate. And so I, I think there's some wisdom here. I, I think that 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 you know just by making opportunities to be intimate one with another, you will go a long way in keeping a healthy, close relationship with your wife. And Paul doesn't, you know, doesn't really hide this. He says, look, guys, maybe maybe for a time you would, you know, dedicate yourself to prayer and fasting and it would become something of a discipline that you would 
you would instill in your marriage. Let's, let's just set ourselves aside for the purpose of praying and fasting. But he said, after that, you come together. Why? So that Satan does not tempt you because of self, lack of self-control. Lest your own drives, your own, you know, kind of desires cause you to look outside the marriage. No, you come together and find that fulfillment in one another. Satan wants to destroy that. Satan wants to provide all kinds of alternative uh, options, especially for men. Satan wants the, 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 the women to find, you know, ulti, ulti, uh, other options as well by introducing other relationships. And God is trying to protect us uh, from that, and he gives us some clear instruction in his word. Finally, Satan would like to get the wife too busy outside the home. Again, I think that uh, we have such a strong cultural influence today that interferes with what I think God has in mind for our homes. Paul, in speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he gives this instruction for the young women, specifically young widows. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. So again, Satan is specifically identified in these verses, and he is identified as one who would look to distract the younger women from being married and focused on the home. I think our culture, again, and I believe that much of it is demonically inspired, looks to mess this up. Women need to find their own career. Women need to find their own fulfillment. Why is it that just men should have opportunity to go out and advance careers and women are expected to keep the home and to raise the children? Doesn't that seem like something inferior for the woman? Why not let the women advance in career and have opportunities and, and go for it? Why does it have to be just, you know, this male and female stereotyped roles? And yet here the Bible seems to be giving us what the culture would say is a, is a bad stereotype. Now, I do believe that in some cases... Financially, for example, there are times when wives have to help contribute, uh, especially in our culture, especially in our financial challenges today. I don't think it's wrong for women to have jobs outside the home. I think there are seasons in life. If you're newly married, you don't have any children, you know, and maybe this is a time to kind of save and you're building up. Both are working. Nothing wrong with that. Or if you're, you know, later in life, I'm kind of coming into that season. We're coming into that empty nesting kind of season. My youngest is 20 years old. I mean, there's not a lot of child rearing going on in my house anymore. So my wife is, is, is able to do other responsibilities in the ministry, for example, outside the home that, that she did, because she doesn't need to be there in the home. But there are years, guys, critical years, in our home where children need to be parented, as we've already talked about. And, and it, it seems that the Scripture has given uh, the mother, the wife, the women, 
a special grace to manage the home, uh, to tend and, and help raising and loving and nurturing the children. I think every household has to find that balance. And I don't think that, that, that this we, we can be dogmatic here and say that all wives must never work. It's not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture here is, is talking about that the women would not be so distracted outside the home that they neglect their responsibility within the home. Now, we could say that for men, too. Men can become very distracted outside the home between career and sports and golf and softball and, and all the other things you know that we do. Uh, we can fail to be diligent in the home. The home is the priority. The home is the priority. And the husband and the wife, we're, we are a team to create God's sanctuary in this home. And in this culture, we need a sanctuary. We need a place where Jesus Christ is Lord. And that needs to be in our home. And there needs to be that kind of focus and not distraction caught up in other things. Uh, you know, some of the financial pressures, guys, some of the financial pressure is self-inflicted. It's a lack of contentment. We want the new car. We want the biggest, the best. We've got to keep up with everybody else. We leverage ourselves into debt. Now the wife has to get out and work because we can't even pay the mortgage on this house that's bigger than anything either one of us ever needed or imagined. It's not always the case. Sometimes it's just really a need. You're living as the best you can, modestly as you can, but there's just financial pressure. I understand that, and I think God will provide the grace in those situations. And as I mentioned, each home has to find that balance and your rhythm of what works. And I don't think we should be dogmatic saying this is always the way it should look. No, I'm simply, I think what the scripture is saying listen, the home must be the priority. And everything that we are doing, concerning career, concerning extracurricular activity, is never to be taking the place of the priority of our home. Our marriage, our household, our children, our home is the priority. Satan wants to get us busy and distracted. And boy, the culture plays right into it. And for a woman these days to stay home and raise her children, to stay home and homeschool her children, for example, in the younger years. Oh my gosh, she is, believe me, my wife went through this. Well, see, you don't understand. See, you don't work. You know, she would get those kind of comments, you know. I don't know, guys, I don't know if you've ever stayed home. We had four kids. I don't know if you've ever been home a day with four children and tried to get them through a day feeding, dressed, schooling, Man, I'm so glad that I got to go to work and not have to deal with that work. My wife worked way harder than I did during those years. So it is, it is work, it is hard work, and it is such a worthy work to preserve godliness in our home. So Satan would like to mess that up. Satan would like to distract. And guys, we have to team up with our wives. We have to help our wives. We have to, you know, that, that do what we can to, 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 Make sure that we don't overextend ourselves. Do what we can to make sure that our wives are not don't have to go out and be distracted. Or that if they find work, we, we still keep that priority in the home. And it can be done. Uh, and there's all different kinds of combinations that I have seen that work. But the remember, I think the biblical exhortation is, don't forget the home. The home must be. Uh, your first priority, and Satan will certainly 
look to attack that. All right, I want to close us in prayer, and then uh, we'll break into some groups. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to get my questions up on the overhead, so I'm going to just give you some discussion points uh, that you can discuss in group. But let me go ahead and close us now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study this important topic of how Satan looks to dis- excuse me, disrupt and attack our homes. Lord, I know tonight that there are some men here that are single, some that are married, some with children, some without. We have all different uh, walks and, and seasons here tonight. But I believe these principles, Lord, can give instruction to all of us. If we're single and looking to be married, this is insightful. Lord, if we're married and we have kids, this is, you know, hits us right where we are. If we're married, Lord, and, and uh, kids are moving out or have moved out of the home, Lord, this still gives us insight into our marriage and how to help uh, mentor our children and our grandchildren. So, Lord, we find application here wherever we are in our journey. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of these things and not to be enticed by the deceptions of the devil, which he markets through the world and the culture and all the pressure and all of the peer pressure from family. Oh, goodness, Lord. Family saying, this is the way you need to do it. This is, what are you doing? Why are you raising your child this way? Oh my gosh, you're going to ruin your kids. Oh, what are you thinking? And all of the, the outside pressure, Lord, that sometimes even means well, but it's not biblical and it's not really spirit-led. Help us, Lord, to discern. Help us, God, to be alert and watchful. And help us to be diligent as men in our homes, to lead our homes, to lead and train our children, and to protect our homes and to call and, and make them turn them into a sanctuary, a place where God is in the midst. We ask these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.